GDP, some decent tech earnings, and consumers keep spending. Welcome. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. In the next hour, got a great show planned for you. We're going to talk about the IRS and the increased scrutiny that's planned for those earning over $400,000 a year. Ask Annex is investment-focused today. Stick around for that. And then toward the end of the show, the Annex Wealth Management Axiom asked, what do you know now you wish you knew prior to retirement? Some really interesting answers in there, and we're going to talk about that. I'm Danny Clayton. Jason Cooper is a research analyst, joins us. Welcome. Thanks, Danny. And we got Dave Spano, president, CEO, and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. That setup is right on point. There's no question. What we talked about last week was that earnings were going to drive the conversation this week, and that's exactly what has happened. Uh, it started off early in the week with a little bit of concern about the banks, but ended with a really good report with a number of the tech companies. Jason, let's start really with the First Republic story. So First Republic, a little bit of background to the listeners, they effectively had some of the global systemically important banks backstop deposits, inject $30 billion when banking contagion started in the first quarter. Now, what we learned during the earnings release was X that $30 billion, effectively 60% of deposits left the bank. So questions immediately popped up with respect to, is this a going concern? Will they need to be backstopped by the FDIC? And that really drove weakness to start the week off. But as we turned to tech earnings, we saw companies like Microsoft and and Meta really blow out expectations. And a lot of that came from the cloud. And you, you try to count the number of mentions for artificial intelligence on these conference calls and that's really the crux of what the analysts are interested in. Exactly right. You know, for example, Microsoft, you know, we've all heard about this conversation about chat GPT and people go, how do I participate in that? Well, Microsoft was a big play and it's rallied now over $300 a share, but they're involved with chat GPT. Yeah, they, they have a relationship with OpenAI, who is the company that's responsible for the generative AI, ChatGPT. It's a nice symbiotic relationship where not only do they get to leverage their technology for their own software, like their search engine Bing, but these AI companies need the computing power to run immense workloads. And what we're seeing is OpenAI, with this relationship, they're putting all that workload on Microsoft's Azure cloud. And that's a real benefit for them, especially as they're able, able to leverage relationships with new c- customers. For, for example, they mentioned Mercedes-Benz. They mentioned Shell. This is an invention or innovation that will impact all segments of the economy. Did you see that OpenAI costs $700,000 a day yeah. to run? But you know what's, what's nice? I talked to so many people who are using I talked to a guy yesterday, a friend of mine who is in uh, the storage business, and he said it's certainly better than starting with a blank piece of paper. Sure. So he puts in it, he gets a framework, but you're going to have to certainly put the red pen to it and make sure it didn't make some things up. So there's no question that's going to evolve over time, but it certainly is going to be a story. But what we're seeing for sure, Jason, is you know there was people just running towards what was called Tina. There is no alternative. And of course, we've talked about this for nearly a year now. It's moved from Tina to her sister, Tara. There is now a reasonable alternative to just buying stocks. Yeah, and that reasonable alternative is fixed income, money market mutual funds. You look at the short end of the yield curve and you know, with the expectation that the Fed increases the federal funds rate next week, we're looking at almost a five handle there. 
Yeah, that is right. And of course, that is what we expect from the Federal Reserve next week is uh, a quarter point raise. And we certainly have been talking about it at some point. Where are we in the rate hiking cycle? We believe that we may be at the peak after May. We're going to have to listen to this report, but more of a dovish report out of the Federal Reserve uh, after they make that announcement. Because right now, the rates that the Federal Reserve has on the short term are above market rates. And that is generally a sign that they are done raising rates. So, you know, the most anticipated recession of all time may not happen. We'll have to actually see what is going to come out of that. But recessions in rough waters ahead certainly are in front of us. So let's go ahead and take a look at a number of these earnings as they come out over the next couple of weeks and make sure that you're positioned correctly. Jason Cooper is a research analyst at Annex Wealth Management. He's part of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee and a regular contributor to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. That's on Monday mornings, usually about mid-morning. If you want to go in really deep on the way that that team thinks and operates and looks ahead, and would they do that on behalf of our clients? So make sure if you want to really get in deep, that would be the thing. Catch the Week in Review on Demand, Spotify at the top of the hour, in our Axiom newsletter, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Sunday, April 29th. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. If we can help, head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at the top of the hour. In the studio, Jason Cooper, Research Analyst at Annex Wealth Management in the Investment Committee. Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. Uh, we have some fun stuff to talk about. Wink, wink. Uh, let's talk about the debt ceiling. No one really wants to talk about that. But it is something that we have to understand. You know, When people talk about the debt ceiling... Jason, I'm not sure that everyone understands exactly what that is and the difference between deficit and debt, but let's start with that conversation. Sure. So in simplest terms, the deficit is the amount of money that the federal government is spending in excess of that which they're bringing in via revenues. So for example, the biggest revenue driver is taxes, whereas the debt ceiling is a limitation on the federal debt from an absolute perspective. So right now I think the ceiling is $31.4 trillion. And that is and that is also the amount of, of the national debt as well. But the debt ceiling uh, right now would have to raise. And, and what we're talking about is raising that. Now, a week ago I said if Kevin McCarthy could get a deal formulated this week, then I think the White House had to come to the table. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, he did get a very narrow margin for those folks to come together and frame out a deal. So I think the conversation is good. I think the conversation is going to have to happen, which means we'll probably won't have a debt default, but austerity might be in front of us. So the way that the deal looks like it's going to come, or at least what made it through the House this week, was the McCarthy's proposing a $1.5 trillion increase to the debt ceiling. And that will occur at the expense of approximately $5 trillion of federal spending over the next 10 years. If they agree. If they yep. agree, and that's right. a big if. Right. And so, of course, the Republicans are putting that forward. 
And, of course, the Democrats are going to have to approve that as well. We'll see what comes out of the Senate. But, you know, Churchill has a famous comment. Americans will always do the right thing only after they have tried everything else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So how should we take that? Yeah, Yeah. what means that, you know, when they get get their backs up against the wall, there's certainly going to be brinkmanship. So get ready, and the market's going to react to it. And that's the reason why we bring it up. Let's switch gears to the Federal Reserve, who is going to come out next week. And there's a lot of data that's coming out that some of the things that they have done clearly have slowed parts of the economy. But I can make an argument, uh, at least in my own mind, Jason, that there could be a what's called a rolling recession. That's a valid point. You look at what's occurred over the last year already, and you've had a tremendous slowdown in the housing market. It's it's still at least in the last quarter, it's still subtracted from GDP, but the rate of subtraction has decreased. You've seen the manufacturing sector effectively go into recession, but there have been pockets of strength, namely the consumer. So as potentially manufacturing and the housing market start to stabilize, maybe you see the consumer start to crack. and. That seems like uh, a rolling recession to me, Dave. Yeah, that's great. And the consumer confidence clearly is coming down. We're starting to see that slow down. We're starting to see some of the big purchases come down, in, for example, the housing industry and, of course, the auto industry. Speaking of autos and filling your car up, we saw a great report out of ExxonMobil. You know, they are in the Permian Basin, and there's an expansion that is happening there. But that had good news for the rest of the energy sector. And that was echoed across Chevron as well. I mean, it was a strong report. And the areas that they look like they're going to be investing, Permian Basin, that's West Texas, and also a lot of interest in the Gulf of Mexico drilling. And the last thing I want to cover uh, in this segment is Treasury yields. And I know that doesn't sound too funny, but it is the interest rates, folks, that you're paying on everything from mortgages to credit cards. And what we've seen now is Treasury yields are coming down. To me, that is a good thing. It also takes a little bit of pressure off the Federal Reserve because they do have a heavy lift trying to slow down inflation, which in my mind they are doing. At some point, they're going to have to stop the rate hiking cycle. And it looks like they're at their final rate, at least with what the market is pricing in. And as you see the Treasury yield come down, it is stimulative to other areas of the economy. And you even look at something like the Financial Conditions Index, and that's eased tremendously over the last couple of months as volatility in the markets has come down and asset prices generally have gone up. And remember, of course, that the stock market in general reacts before the economy. So if we see a bottoming in the equities market, for example, in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, that generally is followed by what happens in the economy. So look for that because the stock market is a forward-looking mechanism. Jason Cooper is a research analyst at Annex Wealth Management, part of the Investment Committee. You're also a CFA, is that correct? A CFA charter holder, Danny. Okay, and that is like the Eagle Scout of, uh, right? <laughs> right. And by the way, this is the team that Dave has uh, put together. In fact, we're going to have an announcement within a week or so, a new addition to the Annex team that we're really excited about. We can't talk about it yet, but we are, that's coming, right? Yeah, the next, next week for sure. Yeah, that is going to be great. Folks, if we can help, our website, AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. The IRS and increased scrutiny for those with income above $400,000. What's the latest? We're going to take a break. Be back with that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? After getting $80 billion from last year's Inflation Reduction Act, the IRS is poised to make good on its long-standing pledge of paying more attention to taxpayers who make more than $400,000 annually. 
That's the bad news. More bad news is the agency is going to focus on, quote, segments of taxpayers with complex issues and complex returns where audit rates are minimal today, such as those related to large partnerships, large corporations, high income and high wealth individuals. Joining me to talk about this, Eric Strom, financial planning manager, CFP and an EA, part of the stellar financial planning team at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Danny. More than half of the agency's new funding was allocated to enforcement. And the plan makes it clear that the current administration wants the IRS to increase audits of wealthy individuals and large corporations. One question is, when does this all start? How long will it take? Well, the IRS still has to hire and train agents, and that takes time. Many believe that 2022 returns are not likely to be impacted with increased audits because, remember, auditing has a three-year statute of limitations. So many experts believe the 2023 returns that we're seeing will potentially be impacted by this because by that time, it's possible to have onboarded and trained a lot of new agents. The word audit strikes fear in the hearts of most people, doesn't it? It does. The IRS refers to, quote, making $400,000, and that apparently is not a tax term. Where's the confusion going to come in there? Well, this term needs to be more defined in a measurable way by the IRS, because think about this. Someone could have millions of dollars in capital gains, but then also you know, millions of dollars of capital losses. So they may have a net taxable income under 400,000. So did that person quote unquote make less than 400,000? We don't know. And we need clarity to really be able to help advise in that area. We're watching this carefully. Eric, do you know, I mean, what are some of the possible tax issues for our wealthy clients down the road? It's common for business owners to save, as one example, certain types of taxes, such as payroll taxes, by using a strategy such as shifting some of their income from salary to business distributions. That type of planning, that's where it's likely that we might see the IRS cracking down on business owners who may, for example, take too small of a salary and take too much of their distributions, which does save in payroll taxes. So all that to say that for people who have that type of business structure, as one example, could be where we see more scrutiny. How about pass-through tax breaks? Many wealthy taxpayers have passed through income from businesses. So pass-through means the taxes are actually paid at the individual level. And entities that have passed through also can be providing losses, which can be very beneficial too. And there's historically been a very low audit rate on these types of business entities. And, And it makes sense if you think about it, because it's very challenging to audit these entities because they're complicated. Most of the audits that take place are very simple audits of the earned income tax credit or other very simple matters that can happen all by mail. But many of these pass-through audits are so complex, that's where really they're putting that emphasis. So it's very likely we're going to see more scrutiny with pass-through entities. Is that the same then with deductible business expenses? Well, it's possible that we're going to see more scrutiny for deductible expenses for businesses to make sure they're legitimate. This is the reality. Some business owners do deduct personal expenses as business expenses too liberally. You know, maybe there have been times in the past where you could get away with some of those more aggressive type things, but it's very possible we're going to see more scrutiny of deductible business expenses moving forward with this level of staffing. Not a time for risky tax moves. I mean, the move is not to somehow find a way to get your, quote, income under 400000 right? No, I think that the increased auditing is going to make it less likely that errors will continue to go undetected. But I think what's key here 
is you need to have careful consideration when it comes to more aggressive approaches. And the bottom line is you need to feel comfortable defending any kind of income or expenses that you're reporting. At the end of the day, that's what counts. Well, actually, the lightning rod here is that this whole thing is pretty political, right? (laughs) Yes. IRS enforcement has become a very political issue. You've got Democrats in Congress who are supporting scrutiny on the wealthy, and then You've got Republicans who are indicating an intent to claw back the Inflation Reduction Act funding from the IRS because there's questioning of how the IRS is going to use these funds. So we could see the enforcement environment easily changing again, you know, and going into the 2024 election season, the issue of IRS funding and enforcement will probably be a pretty hot topic that we're going to see in the news. It sure is, folks. The story is still playing out. Our financial planning and tax team is going to be laser beam focused on this. Eric Strom, financial planning manager, CFP and an EA at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your insight. Thanks, Danny. It's Saturday, April 29th and the bottom of the hour. Time for news. And for that, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. As always, got a question for us. You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. Drop your question in. If you want to be anonymous, that's fine. If you want us to use your name, that's okay. Don't want this to wind up on the radio at all. That's cool because we get back to everybody. In the studio, Matt Moore is the investment team manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Trevor Nargis is a senior trader. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Got these guys in. They take an active role in the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. We thought we'd lean the segment today toward the investment questions that we've been getting. And our first one is anonymous. I think this one is fascinating because we are in earnings seasons now. And the question is, what does the Annex team listen for during earnings calls? Yeah, it's very timely. And, you know, we got a team of people who are tuning into these earnings calls, digesting the information that's coming out. Jason Cooper, I want to give him a shout out. He's kind of our head equity research analyst and does a lot of that work for us. There's a lot of useful and valuable information that can be obtained from earnings calls. We'll hit on a few of the things that we like to listen for. So one item would be paying attention to what's happening from a trend standpoint in both the company that you're listening to the call for, as well as the broader industry that they're in. We like to hear what companies say about their position within an industry, what trends are shaping up or taking place in that industry, and how their approaches and outlooks may change as a result of those trends. This type of information can be really helpful in assessing how a company may be gaining, maintaining, or losing market share. We also like to listen for commentary that could impact other industries or other investments, right? So you have one company talking about, hey, we're seeing this happen in our industry. How might that impact what's happening in another industry or how might that change outlooks in that industry? Yeah, I think one thing just to, to keep your eye on, too, when you're going through those earning calls, is those are the executives from that company. And part of their job is to be cheerleaders for their company as well, too. And that doesn't mean that they're going to go out of their way to suppress bad information, although that certainly does happen as well, too. But you want to keep mind of what the tone they're using. And you want to fact check what they're saying as well, too, by going through their earnings reports, all their filings as well, too, to make sure that what they're saying on those calls is accurate to that and that you're not living up to the hype or going with the hype that they might have through a call. Right. And that goes back to overall assessing the information that's being derived, not just taking it in stride and saying, okay, good to go. We like to look at the information that management is giving to analysts, but we also want to be cognizant of the quality of that information, as well as the overall transparency of the management team with analysts. You don't want to see analysts not on good terms with management because that can be indicative of management potentially trying to do something like Matt alluded to of looking really good in the short term at the potential expense 
consequence of business outcomes in the long term. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because the questions that get asked during those calls are really important. They tend to draw more information out than what those executives are coming into that wanting to give. And so they end up being more honest or truthful through a lot of that because they get put on the spot with the questions that are asked. I've seen some times when it gets contentious, though. Oh, it certainly can. If your company's not doing as well as analysts thought they were going to be, or maybe they're in a in a, a downward trend like Trevor mentioned before, those calls certainly can get a little bit more out there and have a little bit more of a fight during some of those calls as well, too, to pull that information out and, and to get that correct information. And what's really valuable about that as well is that type of discourse can really help investors get a good gauge of potential risks to a business or even a broader industry as well. And we listen to a ton of these things, right? They're fun. Yeah, we do. I don't know if it sounds all that fun. (laughs) (laughs) For some people, going through 10Ks and reading 10Qs and whatnot is not all that fun, but uh, luckily we got people who are kind of wired that way. Well, here's the beauty. We're doing this on behalf of our clients, so they don't have to. Exactly. Next question on Ask Annex. Can you explain how a company's dividend policy can affect its stock price and what factors I should consider when evaluating dividend-paying stocks? Yeah, that's a great question. First is to really understand what that policy is. So companies can pay out dividends in, in many different ways. Sometimes it's percentage of what their profits are, and they want to keep a consistent percentage that's being paid out. So from quarter to quarter, that dividend can fluctuate quite a bit because it depends on how profitable they were that quarter. Other companies have more of a stable dividend policy where every single quarter, we're going to pay out a quarter. And then next year, we're going to look to raise or we're going to pay out 26 cents or 27 cents every single quarter. And they're looking to keep us a constant dollar amount that they're going to increase over time. So understanding really when you're going to get paid, how much you're going to get paid is really important. You also want to take a look at is how sustainable is that dividend going to be? Are their profits enough to cover what that dividend is going to be? Are their profits sustainable? Are there risks ahead that they're going to see? And are they going to be able to grow that dividend over time is really, really important. And then lastly, from for my point of view is, has that company ever had to cut their dividend in the past? That is always a very negative signal to investors as well if they've had that history where it's touch and go on it. So companies really want to keep that dividend stable, but you want to look through that history as well. You hit it all right on the head. Only other things that I would add from a sustainability standpoint are looking at things like the dividend coverage ratio or the dividend payout ratio. For those of you who don't know, the dividend coverage ratio is the number of times that a company could pay its dividend to shareholders. Are they generating enough net income to really be able to sustain and pay out that dividend. And then the payout ratio would be how much of the net income is paid out as dividends. So if a company is paying out a lot of its net income in the form of dividends, it means that it's not retaining as much of its earnings. That might be more of an income-oriented stock for investors. Two people from the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Let's put a little plug in for our Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast every Monday morning. Yeah, that's a lot of fun for us as a team to, to put together. We, we really enjoy getting the feedback from it as well, too. But that's something we get to come together as a team and, and put out to the public of, here's what we're thinking. Trevor Narge is senior trader. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Matt Morsey, investment team manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. Recently, we asked Axiom subscribers, if you're already retired, what do you know now you wish you'd known before retiring? We're going to bring you some of those answers next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Amy Bremer is Wealth Manager at Annex. She's back. Welcome back. It's Danny. We've talked a lot about success in retirement. We absolutely, positively want to help you get there, but mm-hmm. we want you to have success there, to be challenged, to be fulfilled, to be loving life. 
So a while back, we put a poll up on Axiom, our free weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. And the poll question was, if you're already in retirement, what do you know now you wish you'd known pre-retirement? The goal was to glean a little wisdom. And, and boy, we sure did. Yeah, this is a good question. Yeah, we're going to go over some stuff with Amy. And Amy, you've worked with a lot of clients, both on the way to retirement as well as in retirement. We had general answers that were kind of investment-oriented, retirement-oriented living in retirement orient and then some fun stuff at the end we'll start with investments and one that summed it up for many to put more money into Roth accounts rather than tax-deferred accounts, that came up a lot. It did, and I caution folks who are in retirement right now to not put too much pressure on themselves about that because the Roth IRA didn't exist when you were young in retirement in your low-income years where it made sense to actually make those Roth IRA contributions. Younger folks like myself, I'm, I'm an older millennial, I'm I can do that because it's been around for most of my life. But for older folks, I say don't put too much pressure on yourself. Anything you have in a Roth is golden unicorns. My reaction was typical. It's like, I don't want to pay net tax now. Yeah. I should have paid tax then. Well, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But again, don't beat yourself up. Focus on the current and the present. A lot of people said that. One person said, understood the benefits advantage of putting some funds into a Roth, the power of a Roth IRA or the 401k. A lot of power there. A lot of power. And I get really excited about this, Danny, because it's the power of tax-free compounding and growth. Powerful isn't even a powerful word enough to describe it. What do you know now that you'd wish you would have known pre-retirement? A recent Axiom newsletter asked that question. I'm with Amy Bremer, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Let's pivot. Let's move to advice about living in retirement. This is kind of the fun stuff. And here's one. This sums it up. I'll quote it. I wish I'd been psychologically prepared for the switch from accumulation to depletion. We're so focused for many years on saving and building wealth, watching our balances grow, and it's been difficult to accept now that it's time to enjoy fruits of the labor and perfectly okay to watch balances diminish. The competitive side of me doesn't like to see balances decrease, but that happens. That's powerful and so true. So whoever wrote that, I sincerely thank you for that. I struggle with some families with this in the practice here as a certified financial planner at Annex because you've been accumulating for what, 35, 40 years worth of a career and now all of a sudden it's okay to take it out. It's really hard to change that mindset. And you could say it's okay, it's okay, yeah. but it's really hard to do. I'm I'm a glass half empty guy. Mm -hmm. I just always have. So I think I'm going to mm -hmm. struggle with this. And it's okay to struggle, but working with a professional like someone with Annex can help you realize it's okay to spend that down. And I tell folks, I give you permission to buy that. And yeah. it helps them with that psychological block. Here's another one that people wish they would have known pre-retirement that I would miss having colleagues. How profound. Again, retirement is so glamorized. It's this huge destination we want to get to, but part of it is a journey. And so much of our American identities are tied up in our jobs. What's the first question you ask somebody you meet them at a cocktail party? Oh, where do you work? What yeah. do you do? That's so much of our identity. And to lose that is challenging. Here's another great answer. How important it is to retire to something. Boy, we said that so many times. Yeah. And that kind of parlays into the question we just talked about. So many financial advisors focus on the numbers a lot, which is important to have the numbers work. But what we're lacking in is that soft, what are you going to do? What are your hobbies? Do you want to travel? Do you have grandchildren and children that you want to spend time with? Filling that gap that work used to take up 
is really important to have a satisfying and fulfilling retirement. What do you know now that you wish you would have known pre-retirement? We got some fun responses as well. I love this. You can do it if you have a goal. We did it. I know. Isn't that great? And it's so exciting when people do it. You get you celebrate their successes with them. It's really fun for me in practice. But you have to have a, a plan and a goal and a map and track your pace along the way and adjust as things change. But it was with anything, you know, you don't build a house without a blueprint. This is the blueprint to your retirement. You ever find that people can say, you know, I, I've got a goal, but really without the plan, you're not going to hit that goal. It's more of a pie in the sky kind of thing without putting it to paper. Yeah. Here's one. And we did not set this up. Wish I had teamed up with Annex a lot earlier. Yeah, not to humble brag, but I hear that often. Yeah. And, you know, we wish you would have done this earlier. And then I say, you know what, then tell your kids. Tell your kids to come talk to us. Let us help them when they're earlier in the career to lay the foundation for a nice house that is called retirement. Absolutely. Getting started is the hardest part. Having a guide whose goal is to truly help you and not win some sort of sales contest, that seems to be the better idea. We're ready to help financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. First stop, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Amy Brimmer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Good stuff. Thank you for joining us. Always my pleasure, Danny. Quick break, and we're going to be back to wrap things up. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Back in Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Just want to remind you that this show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel, also Apple Podcasts. And we always say this last 60 minutes was really just a sample of what we do because we just can't cover it all. But there are certain things that we do that we really want to talk about a little bit here in this segment with Dave Spano, our president and CEO, joined by Mark Beck, our chief growth officer. Yeah, thanks, Danny. You know, we get a lot of opportunities to help. Mark, you have been spending a lot of time helping families in transition. Those, for example, who have sold a business, who really need all of the members of our team are ultra high net worth folks. We don't spend a lot of time talking about that on this show, but it is certainly something that we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's really you know impactful planning that can happen in that type of situation. So typically we're talking about the founder transitioning out of the business and you know, over the last couple of years, many instances where the business sale has occurred and we're transitioning from a position where there was a strong business asset that was cash flow producing to a strong financial asset position. And there's a lot of planning and handholding that goes into that. So we have to start to think about cash flow out of financial assets. We also have to make sure we manage liquidity. And then of course, the longer term blend of growth assets. And along with that, tax, estate, and charitable opportunities present themselves as well. So you think about you know someone who's owned a business and that has been their primary source of income and it's also an asset, right? And people have to think about that in another form. How do they take that asset if they're going to get a check and turn it into an income and how do they do that in the most tax efficient way? And oh, by the way, I want to set up the kids and I want to do something with the charities as well. You know, and it seems, you know, sort of counterintuitive, but on one level you say, okay, I just got a check for $30 million, but I want to maintain my lifestyle. Where does the money come from? And you would think that those things can cross up, but it's not that simple, right? Because we are talking about building multi-generational wealth here. So where's the cash flow going to come from so you don't have any financial anxiety around day to day? Live your lifestyle. And so we first and foremost build up a cash flow plan and protect liquidity. And that allows you to be in a position where then you can let the rest of those assets be focused on the long term. Now, emotionally, here's what happens in this situation. 
not every single day did you value your business. And so you didn't see that up and down transition of those values. And so you had zero anxiety about that because you were hands-on and controlled. Translate that over to financial assets, and it is priced every single day. It's priced every minute of every day. And so you can see that volatility. And so really helping people through that transition, because there's really motion that gets attached to that when we're talking larger numbers, you know, 10% move on a larger portfolio translates to much bigger dollars. And so we have to look at that in terms of a grid of accomplishment of different components of the portfolio. And I think that's the most important thing. You talked about the first step is this cash flow build-out. Really, the first step is let's have a conversation. What is important to you? What do you want to do? Are the kids set up? Do you want to do something for the grandkids? What's the best way to do it? So it really starts with a conversation. And you do with clients what you're doing with me right now. You're looking at me, and you're nodding, and you understand, and you listen, and that's an important talent. Oh, it is. Now, thank you for that. You know, but you're right. It starts at the core with understanding every single person has different set of priorities, different set of objectives, and you know, a different set of circumstances. And so, thinking about bringing all of those components together is what's so critical to that. So, you can be talking about multi generational family legacy planning. You can be talking about significant charitable intent, building your own foundation, or using the donor advised funds, and using those tools not only to accomplish you know the charitable intent, but also to leverage the tax benefits to go along with it. And so layering these techniques together is what becomes so very important. And the key is that you're in a situation where these become consistent parts of your planning. So it's not in the traditional sense, do the estate plan, I've got my trust in place and powers of attorney and I'm set. Estate planning becomes an annual addressed event. So there's usually gifting, then there's charitable component to it, and then there could be some level of estate equalization that has to happen, so on and so forth. And if this is something that has your interest or you want to have this confidential conversation about this, this is something that we do, folks, and there's a really easy way to engage with us. Sure. You can just head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. We invite anybody who is interested in partnering up with Annex Wealth Management as a fee-only fiduciary to do that. The website, AnnexWealth.com, got a lot of information there. One of the most important things is read that Know the Difference checklist. And if that's a situation where you are beginning a business transition, we'll also treat you with the care and dignity because we know that there's been a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears building that business, nurturing that business. And when you come to a junction like that, we'd love to be your partner on that. Investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning, that's what we do as a fee-only fiduciary. Mark Beck is Chief Growth Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Dave Sponner, our President and CEO and CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Danny, way to run the ship today. I appreciate that. This, folks, is only a glimpse of what we bring to the table for investment and retirement and estate planning. It's your official invitation. Join us, Elite Wealth Management. Click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. See you next Saturday, 10 o'clock. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.